0: first thing. The second thing is this, and and I probably should have been more clear this morning in the message, but I just want to make this very clear, okay? Uh, I want you to know that I'm not hung up on the name Brother Kyle like uh, my parents taught me to use the terminology Brother Ted like I mentioned this morning. I have said to Susie before, I really don't care what people call me so long as they're nice about it. Because you could call me Brother Kyle and be very disrespectful and be very hateful and, and things of that nature. So, if, if, you know, if, if you are one who is comfortable calling me Brother Kyle, then feel free. If I am just Kyle to you, I want you to know that that's okay also. Uh, the brother is not something that I'm hung up on. And I just want you to know that, uh, you know, if you want to call me doctor or something, feel, feel free. Uh, I say that, te- uh, not teak and chung, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, one of my friends emailed me this week and called me Dr. Osfeld. And I thought, ooh, that sounds official. It's just not true. But uh, anyway, so call me whatever you like, so long as you do so politely. Okay. All right, so I just wanted you to know that I'm not hung up on that because some people do get hung up on it, and and that's not me. So all that being said, again, that has nothing to do with the sermon, either one of those uh, announcements. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started tonight. Father, we are glad to be in your house tonight. I trust that we're glad to be here. Lord, you have been so good to us, and you have provided so many things for us. And this is a wonderful time of year for us to really concentrate on that and to focus on that and to express our thanks unto you. God, I pray that you'd bless the service tonight, that you would use it to speak to our hearts, and, Lord, that it would be the challenge to us that we need. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I'm going to give you several thoughts to think about. As I've mentioned in the past, this will be one of those openings to the sermons where you're going to have to compartmentalize certain things. Just put this here, then put this here, then put this here and then come back to it in a little bit, and we'll try to make sense of all this. But the first thing that I want to ask you to think about uh, this evening is this, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Now, immediately you may know what I'm talking about whenever I give you the company and the flight number, Uh, You may know exactly what I'm talking about, but you may say, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's fine. We'll get back to that in a couple of moments. The next thing I want us to think about is this, is that you and I, for the most part, we are not world travelers which means you and I don't find ourselves in airports on a regular basis and we don't find ourselves flying from city to city taking care of this, doing this, whatever it may be. Uh, most of us are pretty much home bodies and we're local individuals and if we go somewhere we like to drive so that we can be in control, right? As, that's how most of us operate. We don't like to fly, it's just a mess, it's just a hassle and it's really not that enjoyable. That being said though, if you do get on a plane at some point here is what you have discovered in the past. Here is what you know to be true, that before takeoff, the flight crew is going to go over a set of instructions with all those on the plane. It is something that they are required to do by the FFA or FAA. Yeah, they're not future farmers. They are aviation people. All right, so the FAA requires them to go through this spill, and some of what they're going to do is they're going to explain to you that in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, masks are going to drop down from the ceiling. Should this end up in, in, in a body of water somewhere, uh, you know, this is where the flotation device is at. The emergency exits are located here, 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 and here, and, and they're going to go through this whole spill. Now, If you ever travel, if your experience has been anything like mine, here is what you have discovered and here is what you have noticed when the flight crew is going through everything by way of their safety announcements. That most people, I will not say all, but most people, it appears, they are not interested at all in what the flight crew is trying to explain they are looking at their phones, they've got their laptops out, they're talking to their neighbor, they're carrying on some conversation, they're messing with their kids, they're already reading their book or their magazine or whatever it may be, you can tell that they are not interested at all in what the flight crew is trying to explain to them. Now, I, on the other hand, I guess I'm a nerd because I want to know where the emergency exits are at. I want to know where my flotation device is at, and I want to know where that little mask is going to drop out of the ceiling should we lose cabin pressure at some point in the flight. So I'm one of those nerds. I'm sitting there in my chair looking at the flight crew, and I'm saying, okay, I'm blowing it like this, and, and whatever it is they're telling me, I want to know, because should something go wrong, I want every chance possible to get out alive. Okay. Uh, it's just me. I Feel free to call me Brother Nerd, okay, if you do that politely. All right. So that being said, I don't know if you've ever done this. I don't think most of us have done this. I've only done it once. But have you ever flown into New York City? Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? A couple of us have, okay. Here's what you know. New York is laid out a little bit differently than Pampa. Okay. A, a couple more buildings, a couple of more things that clutter up the landscape. And, and so as you're flying into New York City, here's what I realized a couple of years ago when we took Nathan there. Uh, it's just miles and miles and miles of people and buildings, and it's just, it, it's just stuff for as far as the eye can see, really, uh, for quite some time. Just a mass of humanity and a mass of buildings. Okay. So that being said, I want us to go back now to flight 1549 of U.S. Airways. U.S. Airways flight 1549 in January of the year 2009 was about to push back from the gate in LaGuardia, New York, and they were going to take off, I believe, cross-country to L.A. or something like that. It was going to be a cross-country flight, I believe, with one stop in Chicago. So what do you think the flight crew did before that flight pushed back from the gate and got into the air? They began going over their spill, right? They have to do that. So they began to explain that should the cabin lose pressure, this is going to happen. Should this happen, then this will happen, so on and so forth. Now obviously I was not on that flight, so I cannot say this with certainty. I can only evaluate this from my own personal experience. But if you had to guess, what do you think a lot of people on that plane or on that flight were doing as the crew was giving their instructions? If I just had to guess, if they were anything like the people on the flights I've been on, they're looking at their phones. They're looking at their laptops. They're finishing up their phone calls, whatever it is. But most of them probably were not giving their undivided attention to the flight crew. And flying out of New York City, who in the world is going to need instructions on what to do in the event of a water landing? So what happened to U.S. Airways Flight 1549? Well, upon takeoff, not very far into the process, what did they hit? They hit a bunch of birds. And as a result of hitting the birds, what did they lose? They lost the engines to the plane. And where did this flight end up at? The Hudson River. 150 passengers plus the flight crew had landed in the Hudson River just moments after takeoff in the middle of New York City. Now, a couple of years ago, I watched a documentary on that whole situation, and they interviewed people who survived, or people who were a part of the flight, and here is what was said over and over again in one manner or another, that it was chaos, that it was pandemonium, it was people who was scared, it was people who was frantic, it was people who was, who was just terrified with what was going on. And I thought to myself as I was thinking about all these thoughts and trying to tie them together in my mind, I, I had this question, I just wonder. I just wonder if things would have gone a little bit more smoothly that day if people had realized I probably need to be listening. I may need to be paying attention. This might actually profit me. This might actually be a benefit to me. I don't know if it would have gone any smoother. I don't know if it would have gone any better. But I have to believe if everyone in the plane that day had given serious attention and not just assumed they already knew all this or they would never need it, I just wonder if they had all given attention to what they needed to do in the case of an emergency if it would have gone any better for them. I'm just going to throw this out and say this. I think it would have. It's just my personal opinion. That's why I'm the nerd who wants to listen and know what's going on. Because I think it pays dividends if you ever need it. Now, why mention that? Well, tonight... Notice in verse number 23. In verse number 23, here's what it says. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, which means this. He's been set free, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. So if everything works out right, here's what I'm going to do. The writer says, I'm going to make my way back with Timothy to where you are at and to see you and to visit with you. So in verse number 24, he says, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So, closing remarks that we're familiar with, closing remarks that we're used to. But in the verse before that, verse number 22, the writer speaks of the letter in the last part of verse 22. He speaks of the letter that he has written unto them, and he makes two statements about this letter that I just want to cover very quickly. And then we'll get into the message. He says this, that he had written them a letter of exhortation. So this letter that he wrote to the believers, the Jewish believers, he said that this was a letter or a word of exhortation. So what does it mean for this letter to be a letter or a word of exhortation? Well, it means this, that it was a letter of instruction or of encouragement, or of solace, or of comfort. All right? So a letter of instruction, or encouragement, or of solace, or of comfort... And if you think about it, that is what the entire letter was, was it not? Over and over and over, it was some kind of instruction. It was some kind of teaching. It was some kind of information that would have served as a benefit to them in their Christian lives. And this new relationship that they found themselves in, departing from the law and entering into this age of grace, forsaking works and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation – Over and over again, this has proven to be a letter of instruction and encouragement and comfort and strengthening, so many different things. And then he says, in the last part of verse number 22, he says, For I have written a letter unto you in few words. So what does that mean? It basically means this. This really is a pretty short letter that I've sent to you and that I've given to you doesn't seem like a short letter to us, probably, but to the writer, it was a short letter. It's said to be just under 10,000 words, if you're interested. I didn't count them. I'm taking someone else's word for that, okay? But just under 10,000 words. It's shorter than the book of 1 Corinthians. It's shorter than the book of Romans. And so, comparatively speaking, uh, amongst some of the the bigger books of the, the New Testament, this would be shorter than some, of course, longer than others. But nonetheless, he said that it is a letter or a a word of exhortation and one that is few words. It's not a, a, a long one by way of its content. Now, all that being said, notice in the first part of verse number 22, here is how the writer is closing his statements and wrapping up his thoughts. He says, and I beseech you. And I beseech you. So what does it mean whenever he says, and I beseech you? Well, it means this, that this is what I am pleading with you to do or this is what I am begging you to do. So this is not some passive statement that is being made. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in in the study of 1 Corinthians as Paul wrapped up that letter and his thoughts. Okay, this word beseech, there's nothing about this that is passive. This is something that would have been urgent and this is something that would have been a burden to the writer. I am beseeching you to do this. So what is he saying that he is beseeching them to do? He is saying this, Brethren, I beseech you, suffer the words of exhortation, for I have written unto you in few words. So what is he beseeching or begging or pleading with them to do? He is pleading with them to please suffer this word of exhortation, of instruction, of encouragement, of comfort, or of solace. So what does it mean to suffer through something? There are several different ideas, are there not? There, There are. See, if I were to ask you tonight, what does it mean to suffer, you would probably give me several different thoughts and several different ideas. So what does it mean to suffer? Well, in the context, it means, again, a couple of things. There are varying opinions to this. But one idea is this, is to tolerate or to put up with something. How many of you have ever suffered through something and you feel like you're just putting up with it and you're just tolerating it? We've all been there. Some of you are feeling that way about the holidays coming up, right? I'll suffer through it. We'll tolerate it. We'll put up with it. But that's what we're going to do. Now, now, I, I trust that you don't feel that way. But sometimes you go to a f- family functions, do you not, and you go, hey, I'll suffer through this. Okay, y'all are just better than me. Y'all are looking at me like you never suffer through family functions. It's like, oh, yes, we'll do it. Okay, anyways. So that'd be one idea, the idea of tolerating something or putting up with it, the idea of suffering through it. But it's also thought to be by some to mean this, to receive something with a warm heart. Now, those seem to be two totally different thoughts, two totally different ideas But if you think about it, both thoughts work together in application to what the writer was asking the readers to do with the letter that was written. I am asking you, and I am pleading with you, and I am beseeching you, and I am begging you, please suffer through the words of exhortation that I have given. Please tolerate this. Please put up with this. Now, now what does that seem to imply? Well, it seems to imply this, that if you take that approach with the word suffer as to what it means, it means something like this. Hey, listen, I know some of you know this already. I know that some of you are already aware of this. We might say it like this, but go ahead and humor me. Okay, you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've already got that established. You've already got that in your mind. I tell you what, just go ahead and suffer through this. Just go ahead and tolerate this. Just go ahead and put up with this. Yeah, you're hearing it one more time. Yes, you're being told one more time. Yeah, but but you need to suffer through this. You need to tolerate it. You need to put up with it. And if you don't like that idea behind the word, then you could adopt this idea behind the word and say this, listen, what I have written unto you, you you need to receive this in your heart warmly, or you need to be thankful or grateful that something like this was given to you for your instruction or your encouragement or your strengthening or, or your solace. However, you want to apply it, however, you want to interpret it, however you want to use it, there is great value to this final plea from the part of the writer. Please listen to what has been said and what has been given to you. It's almost like it could be said like this. Please don't ignore what you're being told one more time. I I I want us to think about this. It's kind of like a flight crew attendant standing up there saying, Okay, I know some of you have heard this many, many, many times. Suffer through it one more time because you need to hear this. For those of you who have never flown, for those of you who have never experienced this, you need to receive this warmly. You need to pay attention. The same idea would be from the heart of the writer, hey, listen, whether you know this or already or maybe you've never heard it before, I am pleading with you, Listen. Listen. You need this, the writer says. Now as you think about that, think about human nature. Human nature sometimes leads us to do what when someone else is speaking? Bloop. Turn them off. Right? Right? Somebody's talking, somebody's listening, and I already know this, I'm already aware of this, I've heard this thousands of times, bloop, turn you off, and I'm going to do something else in my mind. It might be something like this. Well, that's not relevant to me. It's not like I'll ever need that. It's not like that's ever going to be vital to my life. So whatever it is you're talking about, I'll just flip the switch in my brain. I'll turn it off and I'll go do something else in my mind. I'll be productive and I'll accomplish things in my mind, even though that someone is talking to me right now. I don't care what stage of life or what area of life you want to talk about. It is easy for us to just turn people off And ignore things maybe that we need to hear one more time. Well, guess what? The same is true in our spiritual lives. The same is true in our spiritual lives. What do you mean? I mean this. Sometimes, as a preacher, and don't think that I'm preaching at you. I am saying, but as a preacher, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you feel like, I wish there was something different to talk about. I wish there was something new that I could bring to the church family. Because sometimes I feel like the flight crew person saying, all right, guys, we're going to go over some things. Now, here it is. And here is our tendency in our spiritual lives. To say, Pastor, Brother Kyle... Nerd, I don't really need that. I got it. I know what's going to happen when this happens. This isn't my first flight in life, so to speak. All right, so here's Brother Kyle, and what's he going to do? Well, okay. He's, he's going to preach on the home again. He's going to deal with issues about the home and the husband and the wife. And I'm just saying, sometimes the body language that I get to read while I'm preaching, sometimes the body language says this oh, I'll suffer through it. Okay. That's your right. Sometimes we might need to suffer through it more warmly. Because just because we haven't quote-unquote needed it in the past doesn't mean we won't need it at some point in the future. Susie and I were talking about this not too long ago, and uh, uh, it was something we talked about in Sunday school a little bit. But it is true that sometimes in our marriage, we get to thinking, yeah, we're... We're doing pretty good. You know, I'm doing pretty good as a, as a husband. I mean, she's pretty, you know, she's pretty fortunate to have me. And she starts thinking, you know, he's pretty blessed to have me. You know, together we've got this fantastic marriage. Together we're doing great. And, and I love her and she loves me. And, and, man, things are great. And you know what happened a couple of months ago? Just be honest with you, we found ourselves in the Hudson. You say, what, are you, what, he was in the Hudson? No, it was an allegory, okay? Some of, Brother Mike's over here going, what? You were in the Hudson? <laughs> Brother Mike, this is tying back into the illustration. Yeah, you did. I See, I, I'm telling you, the body language that I have to put up with sometimes, Brother Mike's over here worried that I was in the Hudson River. No, I'm saying the marriage had crashed. Now, I I know that I've probably said this before, that that maybe I shouldn't admit certain things, but but there are times that, that in our marriages we get comfortable and we think we've got all the answers and we think, hey, we're doing fine and we don't need this. And I'm just telling you, sometimes birds hit when we don't expect it. So here I am thinking I'm a fantastic husband. Here she is thinking she's a fantastic wife. And we had no idea what kind of turbulence we were about to hit and how we were about to lose our engines, so to speak, and end up, allegorically, in the Hudson, struggling in our marriage. You know what we had to pull from? Some things that we had heard many, many times. Many times in our lives. I'm thankful we didn't just hear it once and somebody assumed we got all we needed and we didn't ever need to hear it again. Does this make sense? I needed all the sermons I've heard on marriage to get us out of the river when we hit that rough patch a couple of months ago. I'm just saying there are times that I stand before you and I'm preaching on the home and I'm preaching on the marriage and I know what you're going to do. You're going to do just like me and Susie. You're going to try to put your best face on when you come to the house of God so that nobody would ever assume that you've got any kind of marital problems, but you know what's going to happen. You're going to hear some things from time to time that you have heard so many other times, whether it be instruction or encouragement or solace or comfort, whatever it may be. And here is what we have got to train ourselves to do, to be the nerd that keeps on listening, not assuming that we already know all the answers. Sometimes I stand before you and I'm preaching on priorities. And right now we may say something like this, Brother Kyle, I am soaring at 35,000 feet. We have got our priorities in line. We have got our priorities in place. Everything is squared away. Everything is what it's supposed to be. Everything is as it should be. We've got our priorities in place. I don't need another sermon on priorities. So here's what I'll do. I'll just turn you off, and I'm just going to go someplace else. Listen now, in my mind, and I'm not going to really listen, that is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous to do because we have no idea when the next strike, so to speak, will take place. It doesn't matter if it's a preaching or a sermon on the home or if it's a sermon on priorities. It doesn't even matter if it's a sermon on something as simple as read your Bible and pray. You know why we need to hear those sermons? Because no matter how many times we have heard it, there are still people who struggle with consistency and faithfulness to just read their Bible and to be a man or a woman of prayer. And and it's so simple sometimes for us to think, well, I've got this together, and well, I've I've got this squared away, and and, and everything's going fine, and, and, and it's not me that struggles with this. I get it. It may not be you right now, but it could be us whose world gets turned upside down, so to speak. And then that's when we need it. That's when we need the reminder of it. I know I've said this before. I know that this is repetitive. But it is our tendency... To either turn it off when we don't think we need it. Or to sit here and determine who all but us needs it. I'm just saying. Listen to the way some people talk sometimes. Well, they just need to listen to the Lord speaking to their heart. Yeah, you're right, they do. What about you? I mean, listen to the way some people pray. Father, speak to their hearts. Whose hearts? Their hearts? That's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Lord, speak to the ones who need it today. You know that there are people here who need to have you spoken or have you speaking to them. Lord, work in their lives. It need not be a their proposition. It needs to be uh, my proposition and our proposition. God, I need this. I need to be the one who, though there are distractions, that I say, Lord, help me to not think about that right now. Hey, Listen. I'm not always the preacher, and I know that sometimes when I'm sitting over here on the front row, piano side, and I'm listening to someone like Brother McCracken preach or Dr. Bill or a missionary, I find it amazing where my mind can go sometimes. So I don't believe for a minute that all of you are sitting through each service going, feed me, Brother Kyle, the word of the living God. That's not what you're doing. Some of you are thinking about tomorrow. Some of you are thinking about last week. Some of you are thinking about Thursday. Some of you are thinking about so many other things. It is in those moments we need to say, Lord, I need this. I need this. I need to be alert. I need to be attentive. Whatever the instruction may be, whatever the encouragement may be, whatever the rebuke may be, God, it is possible that I need it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen and pay attention. I want to suffer through this. Either tolerate it because I know that I need to hear it once more, or I may need to receive this warmly because of what is happening in my life or what may very well be happening in my life in the near future. See, that won't be us. That's not going to be my family. That's not going to be our marriage. That won't be my kids. That will not be my struggle. That will not be my temptation. That will not be my financial issue. Yeah, yeah as if we have any idea what will take place in the next twenty four hours not trying to just dwell on the illustration but just think about it we have no idea when the birds are coming toward us we just don't know And i just want to throw this out here for consideration just Process this, suffer through it however you want to. But over the years, I have seen people get hit by things that they were not expecting. And as you listen to them give testimony, you know what I've heard in not so many words on so many different occasions? You know what I've heard? It's kind of like the people who were on that plane that day in 2009 it's like this, it was chaos. It was a personal chaos. And they're saying, well, Brother Kyle, what do I do? Brother Kyle, what are we supposed to do? Brother Kyle, what about this? Brother Kyle, what about this? Brother Kyle, what about this? And, and, and I know that this may sound wrong to some people, I don't mean it wrong, but there have been so many occasions where I've wanted to say, Did you not hear what I preached last Sunday? We just dealt with this. We, I mean, literally, we just dealt with this Sunday. But you know why you're sitting here all distraught and frustrated and, and you know, confused and bothered. You know why? Because you didn't suffer. The words of exhortation. The words were few. You understand this? It was like a 30-minute sermon. And you could not discipline yourself to listen for 30 minutes. So you're in this position in part because you didn't want to discipline yourself to listen to what the Word of God had to say. We just went over that I've wanted to say this before We've gone over this multiple times In the last few weeks It's been like this recurring theme And you haven't gotten it Because when you came You couldn't listen Because you were too busy having a conversation in your mind, flipping through the books, so to speak, in your mind, or looking at things on your phone, even in church, whatever it may be. You had other things going on, and you couldn't suffer through a little bit of a sermon, a few words that might have been a help, and that's why you're in the mess you're in today. I'm not saying that that is true of you. I'm just saying that there have been times in the last several years where I've wanted to say that to people. But even then it's hard for them to hear because they're in such a a state of panic and shock or frustration or whatever it may be. I'm just saying to us tonight, not because I've got anything to say, but because the word of God has much to say. You know what we need to do every time the word of God is presented? We need to be that weirdo who says, I need this. I need this. I want to know where the emergency exits of life are at. I want to know what to do in this situation. Should this happen, I want to be prepared. It doesn't mean that it will always be a smooth landing. It doesn't mean that it will always be a smooth ride. But we need to be listening every single time. Because it may be that word of instruction. It may be that word of encouragement that we need. But if we don't discipline ourselves to suffer it, either to tolerate it and to put up with it or to receive it warmly, if we don't do it, you know what? We will miss what we desperately need at certain moments in our lives. And so this evening, I'm just going to close with this thought, with this question, and I want you to answer it honestly, as I've said before, between you and God, because frankly, that's the only two people that it really matters with, is you and the Lord. I want to ask you, what kind of mental discipline do you seek to exercise when you come to the house of God? When you come to the house of God, do you have this attitude that says, you know what, I'm going to suffer the word of exhortation. And I don't mean you're tolerating it or you're putting up with it, though you may feel that way at times. I'm going to ask you, what kind of mental discipline do you strive to have so that when you come to the house of God, you're not sitting here saying, yep, know that, yep, know that, don't need that, nope, we're good here. Man, I wish so-and-so could hear this. What, what kind of discipline do we have? Because it really does need to be personal. What do I need out of this? What is there for me to gain? What is there for for me to be benefited by with the message, with the, the words that are being spoken? I know some of you, without doubt, I know some of you strive to have that mental discipline and you strive to make it personal. But I'm not naive enough to think that 100% of us are there where we ought to be. So I'm just asking you, what kind of mental discipline do you try to exercise to listen and to make personal application when the Word of God is presented? So I'll stand this evening and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you would use this message to be the reminder that some of us need. God, to be careful to not dismiss what's being said because we don't think we need it, we don't think it applies, we don't believe it to be relevant, or anything that will be useful in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see that either we do need it now or we will need it in the future. And because of that, we need to listen up and we need to make it personal. For our, for our own benefit. God, if there's anyone in here tonight who'd have to admit they've gotten sloppy, they've gotten lazy in that personal mental discipline, I pray that tonight you'd help them to get back where they need to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As Lauren